All right, so we are recording. This is the first official episode of Between Two Mics. So I'm Mike Quintanilla, or Mike Q. Um, a quick context and background about myself before I hand it over to Mike to talk about himself and we can get into this. Um, I'm from a small town in, in Texas. I now live in San Antonio, Texas. Um, and for the purpose of this show, uh, I mean, obviously we're talking a lot about politics. Um, I consider myself a bit more of a moderate um, probably leaning more towards like the libertarian uh, you know, type of stuff. Um, but uh, I'm a very analytical person. So my background is originally in engineering and biology, so very hard sciences. I'm a numbers guy. Eventually I got into business and I've done things from personal finance and investing to truck washing. And now I'm a real estate investor and do real estate. And, and I have a bunch of other businesses uh, that, I, that keep me very active. And uh, so this is, you know, one of the fun things that I like to do is, you know, getting into podcasting. And so uh, Mike and I actually know each other through real estate, but I'll let Mike introduce himself so you know a little bit more about him. Hi, uh, my name is, uh, I've, I've been in San Antonio, I guess, for about 20 years already. Uh, born in Kingsville, raised in Corpus Christi, went to Mary Carroll High School out over there. Uh, grew up in pretty much a Democratic household. Uh, but pretty much I consider myself, you know, an independent, uh, I, uh, I, the way that I voted pretty much up until last year was pretty much down the middle, uh, twice for Bush, twice for Obama. Um, like I said, I mean, I consider myself, you know, pretty much down the middle and, you know, like you said, I mean, I'm an analytical person. Um, I'm very much on the fence about things when I make a decision, it's because I'm like either 51 or 52% for it. I mean, I can always see the other side. Um, and that's pretty much what I pride myself on. Um, you know, I think, you know, why I wanted to do a show like this, uh, was, uh, because, you know, I respect the person on the other side. Uh, me and Mike have had many discussions, some sometimes at two or three in the morning, um, on yeah. different topics. And I mean, you know, every time, you know, with it's, it's always a conversation. It's never an argument. Um, it's always ending with an LOL, a ha ha ha. You know, we we both, you know, get that at the end of the day, just like you know, with most people, just because we don't agree politically does not mean that we have to hate each other. So um, I'm obviously leaning more towards. Uh, the, the, the left <laughs> of, of the left side of this conversation. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, uh, so most of my views are going to somewhat align, you know, with what the Democrats are doing, whatnot, and, and hopefully throughout the, uh, throughout, you know, if this continues further and further along, you know, I'll be able to, you know, describe what my views are and why I feel the way that I feel. And uh, like I said, just, you know, I, I don't think that the other side is evil, uh, so to speak. You know, I, I know that every, everybody, you know, has, has a way to get to wherever they're trying to get to on the map. Some people do A, B, C, D, E. Some people go A, C, E. I mean, you know what I mean? It's just, you know, you can go everywhere. So, uh, but yeah, like I said, um, I'd like to, like I said, keep everything conversational, respectful, all that good stuff. Um, and I'm pretty confident that the, the partner I chose in order to do this will, you know, hopefully enable us to get that message across. Yeah, I hope so too. And, um, you know, I think one of the, the, the great things about our conversations is that um, we're, we're willing to, uh, to give and take, you know, like right. sometimes, sometimes we can poke fun at each other, um, but we all, we all know it's, uh, you know, uh, for, for the betterment of the, of the discussion, you know, sometimes, sometimes you need that because the uh, discussions, um, they can get heavy, you know, like 
like you know, the the political topics are dealing about you know real people and real lives um, and how everybody gets affected by these things and so you know it's not it's not always about you know I'm right you're wrong it's you know oftentimes it's about where can we agree to make things work right. because at the end of the day it's about results you know as an investor like I can look at numbers all day but if I don't put my money where my mouth is I'm not making any money and you know that's 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 just the bottom line so and I think it's the same with politics you know there's a lot of people that talk a big game and there's a lot of people that try to play a big game but at the end of the day it's who's making results you know I and, think it's I think I think it's somewhat too about you know in politics there's a lot of mis there's a lot of misunderstandings you know uh, what I see going on is you know like you know you got some some people just have dual conflicting things I see people that are you know are they're for Trump because they're you know for the you know the fall of the cabal and all this stuff but yet you know they're you know they're for cryptocurrency which is basically going to lead us to a, a global currency which is you know that kind of defeats the purpose of you know that's kind of <laughs> fighting each other right there so. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, on Facebook, when, you know, when I've gotten into these long discussions, I, that's why I want to do this podcast, because my, my thumbs are tired of, of, of texting and, and, and we need to add some, some voice, some, some, you know, uh, I'm just tired of typing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, hopefully this, this, uh, this, this, uh, this will move everything along and kind of let people know where we're coming from. And like you said, topics can get heavy. Um, we throw jabs in there. I mean, sometimes we make fun of the other side, you know, dramatically, and we can both laugh about it. And, uh, you know, that's what I like, though. But I think I think when you get to a point, you can make fun of your own side. Um, you know, exactly. that's, that's, that's where you have a, a perspective of, you know, reality, I think, you know, because right. he's right. perfect. Like, you know, yeah, I voted for Trump. I don't really like the guy. I mean, like, <laughs> like pretty much 60% of his presidency is me doing... <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> like, like, bro, you're not helping yourself. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. it's like that. Uh, you know, the the mom in the in the grocery store and the kid says like, "Oh, my daddy hit me." He's like, <laughs> like, that, like that's the kind of reaction I think most uh, like like uh, honest Republicans kind of right. get about that. Well, <laughs> right, and 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 I feel and I feel you on that because I mean we uh, we had a guy. His name was uh, William Jefferson Clinton, who, in my opinion, was you know has nowhere near <laughs> what we got now. But at the time, you know, his indiscretions were pretty graphic in the way that they were described and and all that stuff. So, you know, um, we we've had our own, and you know, I, I think y'all on your side of up the ante, <laughs> um, so to hey. speak. So, uh, it's America. We got to be best at something, right? <laughs> Number one, right? <laughs> yeah, always, always. But uh, but yeah. So um, you know, for for since this is a recorded episode, you know, what we wanted to do is do a live stream so we have engagement from the audience. Unfortunately, we're still troubleshooting some technical issues, so we're going to do it recorded and put put out this content. So uh, for anybody who's listening or who's watching this, um, one of the things that we want to really stress to you guys, the, the audience, the listener, um, is engage with us. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, what kinds of things you want us to talk about. Um, you know, Mike and I are, are pretty active on all fronts of the different policies and decisions and what's going on, not just politically in the domestic sense, but also in foreign policy issues. 
Um, I'm more big on the foreign policy stuff just because you know that that's just something that interests me. You know, I like the complexity of, of the involvement of all the moving parts. Um, that's just the way I am. But you know, domestic issues are just as complicated. You know, we have 50 different states with 50 different uh, systems, even though they're all connected by the federal government. Um, everybody does things kind of differently. So you know, let's let's hear from you what you want us to talk about, and then hopefully uh, once a month we want to have like a massive live stream of like two to three hours, and we go into the details of those topics that you want us to talk about. So for today's episode, um, we I thought it would be fun and kind of fitting to call this episode opening and reopening. So we're this is the opening episode of the Between Two Mics show, but it's also talking about reopening the schools and the economy during the COVID-19 pandemic. So let's talk about the schools first. Um, uh, I guess I'll say my position and then Mike, you can say yours and we'll just go sure. ahead and take it from there. But um, I'm kind of mixed on the issue. So um, I'm, uh, and, and to kind of frame the argument, we're not gonna talk about is COVID real or not? If mask wearing is a hoax or you know taking over your liberties, like those are separate topics. I think they kind of just, they're off to the side of the real issue. And the real issue at hand is, safety and efficiency you know obviously we want schools to open because we want education to continue uh, we want teachers most teachers want to get back to work they want to be in the classroom environment but at the same time from from my perspective i think there's a, a way to get that done and it should be done in a safe manner um, and it should be something that should be left up to the local um i guess jurisdiction so like if the it should be every school or every state or every city that gets to decide the terms of how they reopen schools. Um, I'm kind of mixed about it. I think on the one hand, no, we shouldn't, because especially for the age groups below like sixth grade, fifth grade, something like that. I mean, and Mike and I were talking about this before we started, right? Little kids are, you put them in a room, it's like a cesspool. They're always sick. Teachers always get sick. Teacher aides are getting sick. Like they're already getting sick to begin with. And then on top of the, uh, the unknowns of COVID-19, then putting all those kids in a room together, probably not a good idea. But on the other hand, you know, we're talking about quality of education. If all of these kids are studying remotely, are they still getting, first of all, access to education? And are they even getting quality education? So that's something we're gonna talk about. And I feel like the age groups, you know, above sixth, fifth, seventh grade in that, in that age group, um, I think they can tolerate virtual learning. I mean, they're, they're in a generation that grew up on iPhone and iPad and Google. Like these kids, they're savvy enough to know how to navigate with these technologies. Um, if anything, they could probably teach, be teaching the teachers how to use this stuff. Um, so I don't see a concern for them having to return to the classroom, um, you know, from a safety perspective. But then again, we have to address the quality of education perspective as far as are they getting access to it and and what kind of that access that looks like. So that's my position. You know, I'm kind of mixed. You had, you had mentioned before, too, when we were talking before about uh, you believing that uh, fifth grade and under should not be required to to attend school. Can you elaborate a little bit right. more on that? Yeah. So, again, you know, I think it's, it's a health issue. Um, you know, most of those kids... Um, it, it, if any of you have ever been in a classroom with small kids, 
there's always one or two kids that's sick and they get everybody else sick. Um, if I mean, I'm sure you've heard of head lice going around. You've heard of like the, the kid that just randomly throws up. Like that stuff happens. And, you know, and that's not COVID, uh, you know, and we don't know, uh, you know, the data right now, just, there's not a whole lot about how it affects children, especially under the age group of 14. Um, and I was doing a little bit of research on this before coming into our talk. And, um, you know, it, it actually looks like the age group under 14 is, uh, is actually sig does significantly better when exposed to COVID than any other age group. So, you know, there, there's fewer hospitalizations, um, there's uh, fewer cases. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, there are cases. I think right now nationally, um, of all the testing, there's something like 200,000 cases of, uh, of COVID in the age group below 14 years. Right. But of those 200,000, it's something like 100,000 hospitalizations or 80,000 hospitalizations, something in that ballpark. Um, but even in the hospitalizations, the mortality rate is extremely low. So right. of the like 288,000 cases so far, I think up through last week of, 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 um, of July, um, the death rate for that age group of you know, 0 to 14 years old is something like 0.04%. So that's that's a, a fairly small number, all things considered. I mean, I'm not saying that that's a good thing because you know any loss of life is terrible, especially you know elderly and the and the young like this. But you know, comparing that data to the national data of you know who's been testing positive and the hospitalization rate and the death rate overall for you know adults and the elderly. Um, it seems like kids do a hell of a lot better than, than adults do. So um, even though the data shows that currently it might be okay to send them to school because even if they get sick, nothing's really going to happen. Right. The, the, the downside, the threat is you still have teachers. And a lot of these teachers are like legacy teachers, right? Like um, the, being a teacher has been on the decline for the last 10 years. There aren't a whole lot of like you know new blood coming out of college, getting their teacher certificates, and going in, into the public school system. Instead, what's happening uh, is you know we we see these college students who um, come out of the education schools and go straight into a master's or PhD, and they end up being on the academia side of things, where they're either running a school as an administrator or they're staying in in, uh, in higher uh, higher education institutions and studying academics right. or education. So that means that the teachers that are in the school districts, by and large, have been there for a long time. So you have uh, adults, later age adults, and almost pushing the elderly age, age range. And so that means if the kids get sick, even though they can handle it, what about the teachers? You know, right. you're, you're putting them at risk. Um, but, you know, again, we don't have data as of right now to show what the, um, uh, the what's the, the transfer rate, the, uh, you know, how likely someone is to catch it from a child as opposed to a child catching it from an adult. <laughs> right. You know, right. so we don't, we just don't know it. Um, and so my, my idea on that is, you know, we don't have the data, so we should either take it slow until we can get the data um, or, you know, let's hold off and play it safe, you know? Right. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Um, um, 
uh, first off, uh, teachers should get starting pay at sixty thousand. That's a uh, another topic we can we can go after. Uh, but yeah, no, um, I mean I'm I'm definitely for uh, not opening schools. Um, and I mean this comes from I'm I'm a, I'm a parent. Um, like I told you before, I know for a fact uh, that distance learning sucks. Um, I know. Um, like I like I was telling Mike earlier, you know, I I got I got a sixteen year old and I got a twelve year old. And you know, the other day the twelve year old's doing doing their homework. And, you know, all she's doing is Googling the answers. And, you know, I kind of got after her for it. And she's like, well, you know, she's like, I see you Google stuff all the time. And I'm like, well, crap, what, you know, what can I say to that? You're right. Like in real life, you can cheat. As a matter of fact, in our business, real estate, I mean, we're pretty much taught to, uh, you know, to be sheeple so much, you know, rinse and repeat, follow, yeah. you know, follow what, what, you know, the person ahead of you did and replicate that, duplicate that, automate that. Um, but my real concern, I guess, is, is really somewhat what you said as far as not only the teachers, but the parents at home. And, and my concerns fall within the guidelines of San Antonio just not being a healthy city. I mean, yeah. we were once considered one of the fattest cities in the world. So, are uh, in the in the country. So, I mean, when you have, and then not only that, but then we have one of the worst uh, like uh, climates for uh, for respiratory problems. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I've heard of people getting prescribed to go live out over in the desert in Arizona because you know you got the you know the, the oak pollen, you got mountain cedar. I mean, you got yeah. God knows. I mean, you just got so much stuff blowing in from the hill country. So when I hear people talk about, oh, it doesn't affect anybody. You know, if you don't have any underlying conditions, right now I got I have a buddy uh, who was in high school with me, 39 years old, has uh, had bronchitis or asthma, forgot which. But uh, I don't know if he's on a respirator yet, but I mean, he was he was on oxygen. Um, I haven't gotten the update yet. And this is a 39 year old man. So my point is, is like and and San Antonio, not only are we unhealthy, but we're a multi-generational society to where, you know, uh, the grandkids going to go go home and, you know, grandkid may have grandma or grandpa there. Maybe auntie or uncle lives there maybe they're a smoker maybe they have copd whatever whatever the underlying reason is that i mean that's pretty much my reason for not wanting to do that and like you said before kids they're just they're not healthy um you did kind of open my eyes a little bit about i think that is a good idea you know fifth grade and under just because i mean do you really need to be there in fifth grade i mean i can understand 10th 11th 12th grade you know you're getting into uh you know higher higher forms of learning pre-college classes stuff like that so you know, and a lot of that, a lot of that is done virtually anyway. I mean, once you're in like pre-AP and AP courses, like uh, a lot of that is uh, on a device. You know, either an iPad or a computer. It's, it's a lot of the stuff is online. It's interactive at this point. Um, and I mean, I guess I guess it depends on which schools you go to, right? Because like right. some of the poorer school districts may not have those resources. Um, but at I think the same you need to time, almost get like trained into it somewhat. Like you, like yeah. someone needs to teach you how to distance learn. You know what I mean? Like there's got to be like a course on how to do it uh, efficiently. That is, you know what I mean? You can't just go yeah. in there and, you know, wild, wild west and, you know, just, you know, try to figure it out. Um, I mean, there needs yeah. to be some type of, uh, some type of structure. Uh, sometimes, I think, you know, I think that's part of the concern. Uh, I think that's part of the argument of why schools should open because, um, you know, when uh, when the pandemic first started and it was, you know, everybody decided, OK, we're going to close schools down for safety reasons and we'll just continue the semester online. Like most schools didn't have a plan for doing that. You know, most schools barely have a plan for how to run the curriculum, <laughs> you know, from a day to day basis, much less right. do it online you know, overnight. 
So, you know, there was a, there was a lot of struggle. I mean, there was like a, what, three to four week lapse between, you know, school telling the, the kids and their families, this is what we're going to do right now. And this is how we're going to finish out the school year. And then you have this like summer break, you know, we're technically almost towards the end of that summer break. And, uh, and now schools are, are trying to figure out like, what worked and what didn't work when we started this system and how can we improve that but now we're we're so close to the start of the school year that there's no way to test those ideas without putting the kids through that so that's the risk for the students you know again going back to accessibility and quality of education are the kids really even getting a quality education they're basically guinea pigs at this point no they're not. <laughs> and, and so <laughs> then that goes to what you were saying earlier. Like, you know, at this point, like the kids really aren't even in school. So just don't have school, right? Like maybe push it back a year or something uh, or, or roll it into the, the summer of next year, right? I just think that we we have to sacrifice, man. I mean, you know, the whole thing in the beginning is, you know, wear your mask, social distance, do everything you're supposed to do. I mean, us as, I mean, me as a Democrat, as, as a liberal person, do you, you think I wanted the economy to shut down? I mean, it, I don't know if you recognized it, but I mean, it's almost, you know, in our industry, like right when the lockdown happened, it's like the bottom fell out of real estate. It automatically yeah. went from like a 78, 79, 80% market, you know what I mean? And now everybody was like, I want a 60% deal. And this is like overnight. And it's like- Yeah, overnight, whoa. literally. <laughs> like, whoa, like, did that come? Uh, uh I mean, you know, like like I told you before, man, uh, in one of our prior uh, conversations, it's like it's like having a pet pterodactyl. No one's ever had a pet pterodactyl. So every day is something new. Every day we're learning. Uh, were we were we smarter, uh, you know, than we were yesterday? I think that's basically what we need. To, the the goal that needs to you know that we need to strive for is right. are we are we learning from our mistakes? Are we learning from our successes? You know what I mean? Right, right. Are we are we are we taking the politics out of it? Forget who you're voting for. For forget all that stuff. I mean, let, let let's look at the examples. Let's look at Europe. Let's look at Canada. Let's look at uh, Asia, who's been wearing masks for 20 years since MERS, SARS, all that stuff. I mean, you. I mean, they're 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 still in the same situation that they were in before. So um, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's just I mean, that's my take on that. Without yeah. trying to get into. <laughs> Like, yeah, without trying to get into masks and <laughs> all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, that, I, that I, is I another myself, issue. <laughs> I stopped myself from, from getting from going there. <laughs> awesome. But uh, I think a good way to segue the, the conversation is, um, you know, going back to whether or not schools should open. Um, if schools are to open, and that's part of the economy, right? We're trying to get people back to work, and we're trying to open the economy. The question then becomes, what happens to the households where those parents are now going back to work, but they don't have childcare for the kids at home that are needed to be doing totally virtual learning. You know, totally that's, that's a huge concern. I, I think for a lot of parents and for a lot of individuals who don't have any family to help them, because I mean, most daycares, they're still closed. You know, you can't take kids there. Hey, here's an idea: stimulate the economy. Um, um, extra tax credit for you know for uh, for you know taking care of kids or something like that. You know what I mean? That's that's an yeah, idea. I know, right I know there was a discussion about that, but I don't think it was included on this on this last bill. Um, uh, and I, I think it was supposed to be on the proposal for something in August, 
Um, but yeah, there was something supposed to be there as a, a, a tax credit for taking care of kids, or at, at the very least, if you have to pay for childcare, um, you would get you something get back. Yeah. Right. Um, but, uh, but that, I think that's a real concern because as you gradually open the economy, um, you know, that, that means people are going back to work, but what's happening back at the home, you know, like right. if you have kids and they're not going back to school, if you don't reopen the schools, but you reopen the economy, right. Then you get that situation. I mean, we're at where we're at because of where we're at. Um, <laughs> and, and I mean, if we said, know. I know lots of words. <laughs> Exactly. Um, I mean, we're, we're here and, um, you know, my plan uh, and I think everybody else's plan uh, would have been to nip this in the bud, you know, uh, short term pleasure for long term uh, long. What is it? Long term pleasure, short term pain. One, one of those, you know, basically we, we just got to stick it out right now. Um, I saw, uh, I don't know if it was a study, it was an article, something that said that, uh, it was, it was going to take what, six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks, something like that. Uh, if 95% of, 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 of Americans would, would adhere to the social distancing guidelines, wearing the mask, social distancing, all that stuff, uh, that we could safely start reopening up the economy in about six weeks or so. So like I said, <clears throat> me as a liberal or whatnot, I don't want to shut down the economy. I mean, Texas is, I mean, for now, it's a red state, maybe purple, you know, a couple, couple of weeks, no, a couple of months, no one knows. But um, I mean, that's where we're at. I mean, and I mean, it, it, it's, it's, Follow the science. That's it. That's all I really got to say. For, forget who you're voting for. Forget yeah. all this other stuff. Let's. Unfortunately, look at, look at the, the we're in a position that that science has been politicized. Right. Right. And 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 the, and, the, and, that, and the thing about and the thing about it is is that like I said, I mean, I what I keep hearing is oh, in the beginning, you know, they told they they said you know Fauci said you know you don't have to wear masks, and I'm, and my pushback was well, you know, that's when you know we were in a shortage and we needed to give those you know those that equipment to the to the frontline workers. So I mean, does it suck that they were, you know, giving us a false message? Do I understand it? Yes. But now we've had about six months to look at the science, look at the data. Like I tell people, I mean, why do freaking teachers, why do schools make you bring tissues to school? You know what I mean? So that it's so that you can put that up to your face when you're gonna sneeze and you don't spread it everywhere. You know what I mean? It's to me, it's just common sense. I mean, you know, it, if you if you sneeze on your hand with with the napkin and sneeze without and see, you know, how much moisture is on there. I mean, that's a little Mr. Wizard experiment for anybody that wants to try it at home. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I'm sorry, like I said, that's I mean, I, I get facetious, I get sarcastic about it, but to me, I mean, I'm a common sense type guy you know what i mean show me the science yeah, yeah. show me and, and and even though the science is conflicting that I, I see that what the science was six months ago and i see what the science is now and i mean make a determination and and you see who is how many times uh x person has been right and how many times y person has been right or wrong you know what i mean yeah, so yeah and i think that's one of the most difficult aspects of the whole politicization of it because science is not a definite science you know, right. that's, that's the whole point of it. Science is a methodology is, of learning, right? You're, you're studying something. You have a hypothesis, you test it. It fails or you, you it, it proves you're right or you learn something out of it and you adjust and then you, you continue making adjustments. That's right. the way science works, you know, right? Like when they came out at the beginning and said, you know, masks aren't necessary, it wasn't a indefinite end-all be-all. And right. we found out later, oh, maybe you should wear masks. I mean, it's like, uh, it's not as dramatic, but it's kind of like saying back in the day when the AIDS epidemic began, 
you know, right. they're like, oh, it's 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 a homosexual disease. Like if you're gay, right, exactly. that's the only way you get it. But you know, as a matter of fact, that, that wasn't a, true. <laughs> right. And as a matter of fact, I think you can you can relate COVID to AIDS because you hear a lot of people saying, well, you know, you're you're dying of uh, you're dying of asthma, you're dying of, of cancer or you're, or you're dying of, uh, you know, whatever it is. And then we used to say the same thing about AIDS. Like, you know, you didn't die of AIDS. You died of cancer because, you know, it compromise, compromised your immune system, made it weak, let the, let the cancer come and destroy your body. Um, and it's the same thing with COVID. I mean, it's a virus. You know what I mean? You're not going to, you know, <clears throat> technically, so to speak, you're going to die of the virus. You're going to die of the, you know, of what the virus causes your body to do. You know what I mean? So, um, it, you know, it exacerbates the current, uh, current underlying conditions. And I mean, that's true for really any, any disease. I mean, if you already have a, a pre-existing condition, whether that's a heart thing or diabetes or whatever, um, but then you get sick with one thing and they get sick with another thing, like, obviously, yeah, that's going to, cause major issues you could eventually right. die of that um but um i, I think you know, going back to the the whole uh making it political uh that being dangerous was that you know i think what would have helped in the beginning is explaining that as things uh come up we're learning and adapting right and if you know the the administration had um you know set set the expectation that local jurisdictions were the ones to make the decisions of what was going on uh, for their best interests, mm -hmm. then it wouldn't have become as a problem like it is now. Because, you know, like you were saying earlier, Mike, um, you know, if there is a, a top-down leadership structure from the federal government giving federal uh, either mandates or guidelines or whatever, you know, things, things might have been a little bit better. Um, but, you know, I think that was the intent, but the ex execution was not there because the, the intent was we're going to give guidelines from based on what the CDC says, but we're not going to mandate things because that's the governor's responsibility. Right. But I, well, once again, that, that pandemic team would have helped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing we have a pandemic team, right? <laughs> and and me and you have kind of discussed that. So uh, we were talking about this earlier. Um, like I said, me and you were kind of, I mean, I was confused somewhat. Um, I had read on it and I wasn't completely sure. But from my understanding is, uh, like we had talked about before, there was a person from the top that that quit, never came back. Then, then his underling uh, quit, never came. And uh, obviously the same money. Yeah. There was never, they were just never replaced. So is it an exaggeration to say, oh, we know we didn't have a, a pandemic team? Yeah, it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but were we prepared with a pandemic team? So it's, you know, the truth lies somewhere there in the middle. You yeah, know what and, I mean? What that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true because so Obama and his administration, he did create a specific team for handling pandemic response. However, the team was designed more as a feasibility study team. So it wasn't so much that, they were the go-tos for pandemics or they had to have all the action plans. It was more of uh, how uh, getting a better understanding of what resources are needed in the event of a pandemic and for right. them to give that to the CDC. Um, right. And of course, you know, things fell apart during the transition. Those positions were never replaced. But uh, if I remember correctly, I want to say the uh, one of the earlier things that the Trump administration did was basically absorb that team into the CDC into a, uh, I forgot what department it is, but essentially they still have that team. It's just not the same structure and organization that was originally designed from the Obama administration. 
And they did that because they didn't have those positions to fill, or they, rather they never right. filled those positions. So they just gave them into another organization that you know, mostly made sense. You know, hey, your right. pandemic response, here you go, CDC. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And it's kind of like what we talked about before though, um, as far as whether it's a hoax or not, or who's, you know, who's president, who's not, uh, it's whether or not you, you know, you believe the science or you, or you believe it, you just got to know that, I mean, this whole thing is a work in progress, so to speak, you know what I mean? And like you said, if the government, I mean, what would we have said as people if the government said, well, we don't have enough stuff, we're going to give it to the frontline workers. And I mean, that's the real reason that we're not, you know, making it available. Now, at the same time, I'm kind of frustrated with the administration because we have, uh, we haven't fully, uh, applied the defense protection act you know what i mean right now we're, la we're we're lacking in supplies right now we're lacking in testing all this stuff could be sped up like i said right now um if if this was a was an engine and we're we're judging this by rpms i mean we're at a seven or an eight as far as the De defense protection act we need to be at a 10 be yeah. because we're lacking right now i think uh, they suggested that we need to be somewhere at around 30 million tests per i don't know i don't know per day per week i think it's per week uh, and right now we're like at five or six so, I mean, we are literally five fold, five to six times behind where we need to be. So once again, I mean, my question is, why haven't we fully enacted that if it's, if it's in our tool belt, it's available to you. We can do it. We, we, we can apply that. Why not do it? So, I mean, that, like I said, that's just Again, one of it's, it's become politicized. That's, and that's, that's, I mean, <laughs> like everything, like everything else in this country, it becomes political, right? Um, you know, I, that, I think that was part of one of the spending bill ideas for the CARES Act. And then um, you get someone like, uh, what's her name? Ilan Omar from Minnesota uh, or Michigan, right. sorry, right. Um, who wanted to include in the bill, um, you know, uh, not just like rental, uh, uh, protections, but basically wanting to make apartment complexes of a certain size, uh, you know, rent free and right. subsidized when right. they weren't government housing. And it's like, you know, that I, I get the idea you wanted to have rent protections in there, but right. doing it that way, <laughs> it, yeah, it's such a massive change like that. It like you're disrupting the economy even more, and it, it doesn't help anybody. And, you know, in the, in the long run or in, in the immediate run. Um, and then when you're trying to stick something like that onto a bill that, you know, you're, you're trying to get money into the pockets of Americans that, that need it, um, you know, you're, you're, you're holding up that, that, uh, that process. And I think that's one of those things that, you know, is being held up. Like, how, like, I think everybody agrees that funding needs to be allocated for those resources. The problem is, how much funding and if we have that funding what else could it have been used for and that's where the arguing goes back and forth <clears throat> and i mean i i don't think um the legislation has done a very great job um but i i do think that the process is a great experiment into how we can do things better uh in emergency situations um and you know that's it's it's better to have that like growing pain now than facing something that's even worse and not having a blueprint or past experience on how to respond to it. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm sorry, I caught the last end of that and my phone's dying right now. <laughs> oh, no problem, no problem. <laughs> I just had to plug it in. Are you good? Yeah, 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 I'm good. Okay, cool, cool. 
So, um, yeah, as far as opening up the economy, um, what, what do you think is like the biggest hurdles to doing that right now? Um, really, what, what is the definition of opening the economy? I mean, I, I guess well, I mean, everybody's well, we, back to, 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 to normal or, or what? Well, we, no, well, I mean, you got to realize, I mean, we had benchmarks, you know, you had to be, we had right. to flatten the curve and, and some of these, Florida, I believe Alabama, obviously Texas, you know, uh, we opened up way too soon. Um, I think the only person that's going to save Greg Abbott's job is uh, Ron DeSantis because he really screwed things up and he made Abbott look pretty good because Abbott, you know, reverse course and, you know, pissed off a whole bunch of, you know, conservatives or whatnot. But I mean, he did the responsible thing and, you know, he yeah. followed the science. I mean, he saw what was going on. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, that's what he did. But like I said, I mean, we had benchmarks that we were supposed to hit and, and we opened early. So to be perfectly honest, I mean, we don't have a model to go by to where we followed it correctly. You know what I mean? So, um, like I said, I mean, at the end of the day, I think, you know, whatever leader you choose, um, it, 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 this person needs to have an, a national plan and it, it needs to be a plan. Like I said, for, for hotspots, if you're, you know, if, if you're like New York in the beginning or California, well, then you're obviously not going to open up. But if you're like Iowa, Des Moines, Des Moines Iowa, if you're like, uh, I don't know who, who was there yeah. in the beginning, like South Dakota, but, I mean, yeah, most you know, of South Dakota, like they didn't see anything. And, exactly. and again, that's, that's why earlier I was saying like, um, had the administration just said, we're going to leave it up to local jurisdictions to make those decisions like ha imposing a full-on lockdown with mandatory masks. I mean, everybody in South Dakota would have been like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> like no one here is dying. Like, no one here is sick. Like, we, we're, we're doing right. it the right way. And, like, just let us be, you know? Like, right. I, I, I get that. I get from the perspective of, you know, preserving your liberties that the government shouldn't have to tell you what you can and can't do, like wear a mask, you know? Um, and like that, that would have been totally understandable and applicable in that sense. Whereas like New York, like they got hit hard very early on and, you know, it didn't help that you had Cuomo looking at the data, like in real time on the news saying, showing 66% of all new COVID, uh, uh, you know, cases and deaths come from inside the home and he's telling people we have to stay locked down for another four weeks you right. know like right. that uh when you have leadership like that and differing leadership styles all throughout the rest of the country and then have a president that makes a mandate that differs with those the the needs and the and the leadership styles of those of the different jurisdictions. Well, I, just, I mean, I just think that that you know, New York was the epicenter. You know, that's pretty much. I think that's where it started, or that's where it came into. Um, you know, uh, uh, I'm not even so sure it's a Chinese virus anymore. You know what I mean? Um, uh, they found uh, feces samples, I believe, back in March of 19 in Spain or Portugal, uh, where, where there was coronavirus there. So I mean, there's a lot of data now. That kind of shows that, you know, maybe it wasn't from China. But um, like I said, I mean, that's just, you know, whether it's from from China, whether or not it's from Europe or I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I believe the science stays the same. I mean, there may be there's, I mean, more than likely there's different strains popping up here or there. Oh, sure, but like you sure. said, I, I mean, nobody knew, you know, and I, and I may get these dates wrong. Nobody knew. I don't know when the first case of, of, of uh, chicken pox was, but nobody knew 30 or 40 years down the line that you were going to get shingles. 
You know what I mean? Nobody yes. knew that if you caught, if you caught a case of herpes, you know what I mean? Uh, that whenever you got stressed out, you know what I mean? Going to take a, a picture day or anything, you you may get a cold sore. You know what I mean? That 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 sucker may pop up. You know what I mean? <laughs> so there's several different instances of where I believe, like I said, like you were talking about the data about 14 and under, all that stuff. I mean, we just don't know what when this thing's going to pop back up like a, like another shingles you know what i mean yeah. so um, and then again going back to the political the making everything political it's like um it the it doesn't help the case of you know extended lockdowns or the case against uh reopening the economy that uh we have so much faulty data you know like we just had that the uh article about 2 days ago about that one company that sent 600,000 uh, patients positive uh, coronavirus virus results without ever having tested them, right. and, and and that's frustrating for me. That's frustrating. Yeah, for and me. if local governments are including that in their in their figures, um, you know, it, it makes you really question like what is the reality of the situation, um, and that's difficult for us, the the consumer, the individual American, to make our own decisions, but it's even more difficult for the the leadership because. They don't. They're relying on that data to make the best decisions for the people who elected right. them. Right. Uh, and and uh, going back to what you said, non-politicalization. In in my perfect world, you know, we 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 would have a leader that would basically say, you know, look, follow the science. Pretty much national mandate, whatever. Not everybody wear masks, but like I said, follow guidelines. If you you're spiking or whatever, you're not flattening the curve. Well, then you're not opening up or whatnot. And then let the mask deniers, the people that uh that that believe it on their own not wear the masks not following from the top you know what i mean like uh because there are certain people that you know that it doesn't matter who's president if the president says it they're gonna believe it because that's just they've been taught that the president is is the end-all be-all and you know most respected office in the land <clears throat> and there's just some people that are gonna do it just because they respect that person so much but like right. i said in my perfect world world there would be someone that said follow the science and you make everybody do it and there's going to be some people that are going to be be pissed off at you there's going to be the people that are thinking you're taking away their civil liberties all that stuff you know once again I, if it comes from the top i just think we save more lives at the end of the day you know what i mean so um that's where i'm at on that <laughs> <laughs> so so what are your thoughts on a uh, the whole uh um uh, holding the economy hostage for the election cycle like do you think that's a i mean to be is that a real conspiracy here's the deal deal. if 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 americans if if the majority of americans and uh well elected we go by the electoral college so i always tell people obviously i'm not a fan of trump but he ran the greatest campaign not just the modern campaign he ran one of the greatest campaigns ever it was pretty genius like and i remember talking to a a friend of mine he was a a mentor of mine back in in 2015 when he announced his candidacy and he and he said like basically the opening speech first things out of his mouth we're going to build a wall it's going to be great (laughs) mexico's going to pay for it and like like that right there was like that was branding like like he, he he wasn't there to piss people off. He was there to get media attention. And he didn't have to pay for ads because every news agency was running him as, as a candidate. And of course, like, you know, he, he played right into the, the, the voter base and he, he incited that, you know, 
the dichotomy between the, the whoever was going to be the Democratic nominee and the Republican Party. And, you know, like it, it really was a very genius move. I mean, obviously, I don't think he was the one that came up with the idea, but he was he was definitely happy to do it. <laughs> hats, off, hats off to Brad Parscale. I mean, that's why that's why he was put in that position, San Antonio's own Brad, Brad Parscale. But uh, yeah, man, I mean, you know, he, he's, uh, you know, he, he's made for the camera, you know, he's there for the sound bites. Um, you know, unfortunately, from what I see, most of that stuff hasn't gotten done yet. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I saw a whole bunch of memes of the the uh, the, the border wall on, in South Padre getting torn up. <laughs> yeah, apparently that was actually um, like reused footage from uh, an incident that happened in Arizona. Really? Yeah, it was like it it happened. I think in like March or February. Um, that the okay. a, a section of the wall got blown over in Arizona. Um, but it was circulating around as like that was what happened in the hurricane or something. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean that, that stuff gets ha- that happens all the time. Yeah, it's like um, it's like the recent stuff with the riots and and the protests and stuff. It's like um, right. uh, what was that ad? Um, oh gosh, I can't remember what it was. What it was, but it was basically saying like, uh, if you vote for Democrats, you're voting for more of this. And it was like, you know, riot police and like arresting people. But like the picture was from uh, was from somewhere else. It was like in Germany or something uh, of some uh, of some event that happened, and they were like dispersing the crowds or something. And like <laughs> it was like completely, uh, you know, not relevant to you know, right. real situations that are happening right now. But I mean, I get the idea. It's just um, like, at least right. use a real picture from. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I just, I just saw a picture. I mean, I saw it a couple of times, a couple of my friends on Facebook have been sharing um, uh, some, some person who's supposedly Chuck Schumer that's kissing a child. And this person <laughs> actually looks nothing like Chuck Schumer at all. This guy has like, I don't know, you know, brown hair, Chuck Schumer is practically bald. Um, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, and it's like, and you know what, if, if something's true, like I have no problem with it being true, but if it's fake, I mean, come on, man. Like I, yeah. I, I hold my online reputation, you know, one you, you love me or hate me. One of the things that, you know, I, I'm always going to try to share the truth. You know what I mean? And, and if I don't, then call me out on it. You know what I mean? Um, one of the things that I'm waiting for somebody to, you know, make a point to me to, to change my mind. If, if, if that were to happen, like if an epiphany were to happen, I, I mean, I'm, I'm all for it, man. Give, give, give me the, the information that I need to make that decision. But please, man, like, I mean, once you start off with, you know, false pictures and a false narrative and, you know, going off into conspiracy theories, this, that, and the other, I mean, let, let's try to use, you know, facts, you know what I mean? And that's, a, right. that's another thing. Right. That's another thing too, is, you know, I, I hear a lot about mainstream media, mainstream media. And it seems like my friends on the other side are always a day or two behind on the news cycle because they don't look at mainstream media. Now, there was a, a recently they came out uh, the study, the Henry Ford about hydroxychloroquine. Mm-hmm. I, I read a, an article on in C, uh, on Fox News. You read the article on Fox, and it tells it tells you about how the study, you know, how how it claims that that it's good and it's effective and all this other stuff. But then you go to the CNN, and then it tells you about like the ten percent of people that weren't included in the study like basically they didn't make the cut um mm-hmm. so it was like a basically like a large percentage and what you all you got to do what i do to discern 
information from misinformation is I, I get my information from from not only TV but from MSNBC from all sources on the on the right. internet. Then I go to to the what I consider alternative sites like the Babylon Bee, Breitbart. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, and I see yeah. what their I see what their spin on the whole situation is, and then I make a decision. And I, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I know that uh, that that the mainstream media is a little bit you know uh, biased probably against Trump. But then again, I mean, you have you know, Trump trying to, you know, have people attack reporters. So I kind of, you know, I kind of understand where their frustration is with him. You know what I mean? So, yeah, um, yeah. but it I mean, it goes both ways, you know, like, exactly. and that's, so that's why I can't is, really like watch anything on the news because like the, the bias is, is so apparent and, and you just compare the same story on, on multiple different sites, you know, whoever's leaning left or right. Right. And the uh, headlines are just so drastically different for the same exactly. thing. And it's, it's like you kind of have to be forced to learn how to read between the lines. And exactly. Um, exactly. I and mean, ultimately, that's, that's, what, that's why we're doing this, right? So, you know, like we have differing perspectives and, you know, you're, you're in an area, uh, you know, politically that, you know, you see things differently than I do and I see things right. differently than you do. And- and and here's the deal with and here's the deal with me. Let me get one thing straight across. I am not the biggest AOC fan. Um, <laughs> I'm not a fan of Omar and and on all them. I mean, I do think that they've screwed up on on multiple fronts. And uh, you know, I'm I'm not far 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 left. I mean, like I tell people all the time. I mean, I, when when this is all said and done, I mean, here's the deal. If if Biden becomes president, I already know for a fact. Is going to be a one-term president, maybe even a one-day president, to where shoot they get the VP to step in from day one. I like, wouldn't even. I mean, did you I see that uh, uh, that Babylon B article? It was like the uh, the calendar for 2020, and it was like uh, I think it was um, the like right before election. It's like Biden's Biden mysteriously dies, and Hillary picks up the nomination. <laughs> I haven't seen that. One. I mean, like I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it, put it past. Um, but like I said, I mean, at this point, I, I find it comical, really, when, when you know, people share the, you know, the basement Biden stuff and all that stuff because. I'm lukewarm. I barely like the guy. I'm going to be honest with you. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm, I'm barely there, but at the end of the day, I mean, I almost feel like putting a weekend at Bernie candidate that's going to not do much, you know, yeah, is, yeah. you know, uh, basically action by inaction, <laughs> so to speak. Well, I think, I think the, the reason why Democrats are for him and Republicans are against him is the same reason is that everybody sees that um, at this point in time, I I think everybody can agree that Biden's not going to be an effective leader, but he has the backing of all the Democrats. So he's basically just he's there. Got the backing, he's got the backing of the progressives too, because they right. were they were kind of. It took them a while to come and catch up. To I mean, because you had Bernie people that were like, "I'd rather vote for Trump," and I'm like, "Come on, man! Like, <laughs> like we, we 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 can't be thinking that way, man. One for all, all for all for one." So yeah. um, and, and essentially, and, he's pl- he's being a placeholder, right? Yes. So. Like and I know the, that the Democrats win, that. like that's just a way to get Democrat policies through. And that's why the Democrats want him to win. But, and that's why the Republicans don't want him to win because right. it's, it's, it's really not his platform or his ideas. He's just there to let everybody know, else man. come in. <laughs> it's it's going to be remain, remains to be seen. I mean, uh, you know, people are saying that, you know, the polling's fake, all this other stuff. I'm not, I'm not going to lie as, as a, a, you know, when I saw the poll numbers, I saw a 15 point lead. I was jumping up and down, you know what I mean? And then I caught myself and I'm like, 
what if it's not true? Like, you know what I mean? And that little, like, let, let, let's just, let's just stop and think for a little bit. And, and is there a possibility, but you know, I, I go look at the electoral map. I mean, I, and, 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 and you know, you know, I, what I see is, 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 is good for me. And here's the deal. And, and this is what I've told a whole bunch of people on the other side. I honestly think it would be a very tight race if he were, if he, if he would have canceled that RNC from the very beginning. And if, uh, I mean, just if he would have gone with the whole mask thing, you know, it's like he went with the mask thing for one day, what yesterday, and then, you know, and then you get the retweet of, you know, of the, the doctor and, you know, and, and all the other retweets that he did the other day. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I just but, wish he would stay on message. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think the thing that is uh, turning the case towards Trump's reelection is this the quote unquote civil unrest with the ongoing riots, you know, because uh, it, it's true. The local leadership hasn't really taken a whole lot of positive action. Right. Um, and, and yes, there is a difference between protest and riots. And to call riots protests or mostly peaceful protests, like right. that's, that's, a, that's a huge inaccuracy. And, you know, people are getting tired of that and they want that to, to end. And, you know, let's face it, Trump has his hands tied on certain well, things and he can only do so I much. Mean- I mean, I didn't see the same antagonization, you know, when when you had those uh, folks from Michigan march up on the Capitol. I mean, I saw some people yelling in people's faces, never saw any tear gas, never saw rubber bullets, never saw anybody get pepper sprayed. So it's kind of like... they also didn't burn anything. (laughs) (laughs) And they never broke windows. True. Sure, they showed showed up armed to the teeth, but got hurt. Nobody's businesses were destroyed. Nobody's homes were burned. Uh, and then cars weren't flipped over. There wasn't right. And once again, graffiti. and I'm not a person that that's at all for for writing. As a matter of fact, I I'll I'll just say it right now. I'm not for chop chaz whatever the hell you want to call it out over in Portland. Um, that you know, um, a for just, effort though, guys. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I you know the, the whole defund the police thing. You know, that's one of defund the police. I think that was one of the most major mistakes uh that we made was was using that phrase defunding i mean from the very beginning it should have been alloc- reallocating and the thing is is i don't yeah. want to hurt the, i don't want to hurt the police i want to put the police in a position to what they're trained to do you know if and and if this even includes uh requiring police to get a a, a four year degree a bachelor's in psychology and maybe criminal justice you know what i mean and for them to get paid even more <clears throat> For them to handle these social situations, I'm all for that. And once again, you know, I heard somebody say, oh, well, then that's going to have, you know, you have to make all these departments. And I'm like, well, we're losing jobs, like hand over fist. Like we need to find a way in this economy, in this pandemic on how to create jobs. And fortunately, and like you said, you're going to, you hate bigger government, but I mean, I think, you know, adding these jobs in the quote unquote, the government sector that are in social services is, is going to do us, you know, do us good. Like I said, do I want to totally defund the police where we don't have anything and I'm relying on my neighbor to help me, you know, if, if my house gets robbed? No, 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 no. Reallocate the funds. Right now, I think uh, New York had a $6 billion budget and they trimmed off a billion. I mean, and that's because they did that like in a week. Like imagine if we gave them like a month or two to trim the fat off that baby. You know what I mean? I'm pretty sure there's just, I mean, there's just like with anything, there's government waste, 
with, with everything. And I yeah. mean, at the end of the day, we want to be as efficient as, as possible with these funds. We don't want to, like I said, we don't want to be, you know, you know, shooting bullets just to shoot bullets, just to waste our ammunition. You know, these, yeah, yeah. these funds have to go somewhere. And, well, you here, know, here's an idea for a, a social experiment. Uh, you know, like I, I know you, you're, you're a big fan of a little bit more socialized programs, but, um, and, and I've, had this idea for a while you you and i talked about it a little bit but i know our audience just may not have ever heard of this but you know i've i've had the idea that there should be some uh government program where teenagers you know maybe when you turn 18 you have the option to enlist or enroll in this program you know kind of like um you know the way israel has a requirement that every citizen serve two years in their military um, obviously, I'm not a big fan of the, the government forcing you to do anything. Right. But if they have a program in place where you can enlist uh, and it's in a civil service capacity, not the military, you know, you, anybody can enlist in the military and you know, that's, that's still an option. But similar to the military, if you enlist, you do your service, you're, di- you're honorably discharged you get the benefits of being a veteran. You know, you get the uh, health benefits. At some point, you're going to get retirement benefits. Um, there should be a similar program, but in the service, civil service sector, where you enlist in that, you do your two years, your four years, whatever. Um, and when you complete that, you have a pension program in place and you have health benefits very similar to the VA. Or maybe you can combine the two. That way it's a bigger program. It has better funding. It has better organization, you know, whatever that may be. But what if your civil service responsibilities were local police? That right. could be a way to get the 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 individuals that are in their own communities to police themselves, get paid for it, have health insurance benefits and a retirement uh, potential. And when you're done with your civil service, maybe two years, um, you can go to college or you can continue in that job or you can use those skills for something else that is more in line with what you want to do. Um, But I think having a program like that, that, um, you know, maybe it, in some in some situations, it could be a mandate, but I think that would be a very attractive option for people who they come out of high school and they're like, "Man, I'm, there's no way I can make it in college. There's no way I can go to college." Well, I mean, I, I think uh, regardless of who's president, this is this is another reason why I've kind of you know been on the on the liberal platform is I just believe that you know we're the party of technology. I mean, we're the first ones that introduced cryptocurrency into into a bill you know that's how we wanted to get the uh the payments out to people um, now i know that there's going to be a lot of uh you know uh cryptocurrency is very shaky with you know how it can be hacked and all that stuff but if we can scale that stuff down then i'm definitely for that um i think me and you have talked before surprisingly you agreed with me on the whole ubi thing which <laughs> I, um, I like blew my mind i'm like Wow, maybe we're we're maybe a little bit more similar than than what we both believe. But in, in my and just real briefly, I just you know, regardless of who who the president was, Trump, Biden, whoever the hell it is, um, with automation taking over, and we're in real estate. I mean, I find it funny that you know you have real estate investors that are like build in America, build in America, and then they go hire you know for three or four bucks an hour somebody uh, outsource somebody from the Philippines or yeah. from Vietnam. You know yeah. what I mean? So I'm just, once again, that's where the little ideas kind of clash. Where I'm kind of like. Hmm, you know, those two ideologies kind of, you know, they, they don't go together. But, um, but I mean, it's, 
like I said, I, I, I'm, I'm figuring pretty soon within the next, maybe, maybe even sooner than what I thought, we're going to be like at 30% unemployment. So while you have, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm talking about, hey, let's, let's add to the social workforce, <clears throat> let's, you know, build up these different departments. And people are like, well, that's just going to create, you know, more of this, that, and the other. And I'm like, well, what it's going to create is more jobs. And we need right. more jobs in a society where we're losing jobs, where, where, where Amazon is killing brick and mortar. I mean, JCPenney, Macy's. Uh, Saks Fifth Avenue. I mean, they're all closing. Uh, you got the trucking industry collapsing. Then you got Elon Musk trying to introduce self-driving cars. Uh, I saw a machine the other day that flips burgers for you. Or, uh, um, I saw that on Facebook, and then I read an article on because of the pandemic, they were trying to make uh, uh, human contactless food. So there was going to be like a robotic chef. So okay. you're getting all these, you know, industries, all these things that are going to be automated soon. And most people, are, I mean, they're going to love it, but there's going to be no jobs, you know what I mean? Unless we create it through that or we uh, implement a system such as UBI. And for those of you out in the audience who are not familiar with UBI, that stands for Universal Basic Income. Um, that's basically the whole you know premise that Andrew Yang put out. Um, he's doing um, uh, a trial right now. I forgot where it's at right now. He's giving people $1,000 a month to basically use however they want to use it. And, um, and, and they're documenting that. Um, there, there's already trial runs over in Europe. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think Canada right now during the pandemic is giving their citizens $2,000 so. a month. So, yeah. I mean, and right now we're in the trial run of UBI. So, like I said, I mean, I'm just telling the, the folks out there who think, and I'm, you know, maybe, you know, have a tinfoil hat and, oh, you're crazy. I mean, imagine a society where, shoot, you don't have any more homeless people. Now, you know, a couple and their kids, they get, you know, a thousand each. So that's 2,000 each. Their two kids get 500 each. So that's 3,000 right there. So now they have $3,000 of disposable income to pay for rent and to pay for uh, basic necessities. And, you can opt out if you want, like, if, or you can donate that to, you know, whoever you want to, if you're of a certain income level and you don't want to, you know, take advantage of that. So, um, like I said, what, what surprised me, what you said about that whole idea was that it was a capitalistic idea. And, and I believe if, if I'm not mistaken, you said, well, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it makes money. And I said, well, shoot, I mean, a whole bunch of the programs that I have in my head that are social, you know, either make or save money. But, um, well, yeah, what were, your, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, so Can with the UBI, yeah, um, I, I think it's a, a novel idea for a, the, the problems that are anticipated. Like you said, unemployment from automations. Um, now, I don't think unemployment from automations is ever going to get to a situation that, you know, it's, it's unmanageable. Um, but the idea of giving a security net to average Americans um, I think that's that's a great idea under certain conditions, under certain circumstances. Um, <clears throat> in fact, my idea for UBI was expanding that into a system of replacing multiple welfare platforms. So, you know, get, getting rid of like yes. Medicaid, getting rid of the right. you know, food stamps, things like that, because essentially that's what UBI is doing anyway. It's providing rental assistance, it's providing food assistance, it's subsidizing uh, medical care assistance. Right. So if you could get rid of all those different social programs, the amount of money you would save in doing that um, and then consolidating it into one, uh, essentially a welfare program of UBI, um, not only would you have the ability to fund it because you've closed down all the, the overhead of these other organizations within the government, um, but you streamlined it because it's now all in one right one place. And that, 
Right. And, and, and that goes a little bit into, too, I mean, you know, I don't adopt too many far left, you know, policies, but another one is Medicare for all. I believe if you implement a UBI plus a Medicare for all, um, you know, we're going to eliminate a whole bunch of government ways. Then you implement blockchain technology. You, uh, and you accidentally muted yourself. The, uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, he explains that per year, you're going to save $600,000 for the Medicare for all just on administrative costs, just because of all the medical billing and all the coding and all that stuff. It's just how many errors that there are. If you have one centralized system, hopefully that's, you know, that's backed by something like, like blockchain, where, you know, like I said, you decentralize it and, uh, and implement it that way. I mean, here's the deal. I think... Uh, Think about all the people who are were on respirators who are going to get this astronomical hospital bill. You know what I mean? Any, or anybody else. You know, if, if we get into like, what, I don't know, 10 million cases, 20 million cases, even if we our deaths are at, you know, three, four hundred thousand. I mean, what what position is that going to leave our health in? You know what I mean? So, um, but like I said, I mean, my big two things are UBI and Medicare for all. And I just think, like I said, automation is leading us to the UBI and, and, and Medicare for all the pandemic is going to push us into Medicare for all. I even heard Biden, uh, in that video that I shared, uh, the promo, the, the, the Obama Biden, where they had the conversation, um, yes. Biden threw in that he, the, 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 the payer option for Obamacare, that would be a game changer right there. It's so the single payer option. Um, you know, anybody that hasn't, that, that's another thing that I want to do for you, those of you that haven't heard of these, you know, terms or concepts, go look them up. You know what I mean? Go, go see what we're talking about. Go do, I mean, you know, uh, let us plant the seed for you and, you know, go grow the plant, go, go, you know, go do your own research. So the only, the, I mean, the biggest issues I have with the, uh, healthcare for all or universal healthcare, um, is, uh, again, there's certain conditions, right? Like, just giving access to uh, medical care for everybody is one thing, but paying for it for everybody is another thing. And paying for it isn't sustainable unless you can control the the, the growth of prices to provide healthcare. That could be well, medications. That could be made. That could be like uh, hospital visits. That could be surgical procedures. Things like that. Like. Even if, if you made law from today to tomorrow and suddenly everybody, you guys don't have to pay anything out of pocket. The government's going to pay for it. That doesn't stop the prices of medications and those, and those uh, like surgical uh, you know, things that, that people have to pay for. It's not going right. to keep those prices from going up. So that means as those prices go up each and every year, the government has to pay more and more every single year, which means they're going to tax us more every single year. And at what point is it that it's, it doesn't become sustainable. It just becomes something. Yeah. Everybody wants that. Nobody wants to pay for it out of their pocket, but if we share the costs from a taxation standpoint, that seems a bit more fair. Well, go, go look at Andrew Yang's uh, plan on, on, on data. Like he, like he asks, have you ever received your data check? We got our data being shared all the time. And we're not getting compensated for all this, you know, we're essentially building, you know, this supercomputer, this internetwork of the super brain, and it's collecting all this data, and we're not getting compensated for it. And I believe they're, they're doing, doing a trial run on, on data collection for, for citizens and how to get compensated for that. So that's another way, like I said, to possibly, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, 
pay for it, you know, subsidize it, so to speak, is, is using funds from that. Like I said, right. And, and there are, there are alternatives to, to finding money out there to solve that solution. But again, um, like if you don't stop the spending problem or the cost problem, just giving people money, isn't going to solve it. You know, right. like it's, it's still, it's still going to cost something. And those two things aren't going to keep up with each other. I mean, well, I mean, honestly, I think if you got rid of the whole Medicare for all, uh, Medicaid, you know, all that stuff, and just replaced it with a universal basic income package where the government has the ability to negotiate those prices of, for sure. uh, of, of treatment options and med and medical, uh, care or devices and, and medications, then that would be that that's really the only way to uh, be able to, to not only remain competitive in the market at, as a medical professional or medical company, but uh, also, you know, be able to uh, continue providing innovations because that's one of the big concerns and the drawbacks of Medicare for all is that if, if there's only one cost and everybody pays it, then there's no real incentive for anybody in the market to compete. But, you know, if, if there's still negotiating power, let's say every state, there's 50 of us, right? Every state has, has the ability to negotiate via the federal government's guidelines and, and, and framework, then they can right. do what's right for their citizens within their state. And I think that's a much more appropriate uh, approach as opposed to having a federal thing that everybody has to pay because treatments in New York don't cost the same as they do here. So why do I have to pay the taxes to cover that guy's medical bills? Right. right? right. You know, it, and, and I mean, who knows? It might, the proposal might be something like that where it's a program at the state level again, you know, with a, a framework provided by the federal government. Um, but I, I also, I just plain flat out think that that's inefficient. Like if you could just right. replace all those welfare programs with one, Right. That is simplified. I think it would work much more effectively. I just know that it was more efficient than the trajectory that we were going. I think uh, the figures that Bernie showed was what, 10 billion over yeah. 10 billion or 10 trillion over 10 years, something yeah. like that. So yeah, I mean, it was astronomical. Exactly. It was astronomical. And that's that, that's something that's pretty much not. <laughs> and you want to talk you want to talk about inflating the deficit? <laughs> Hey, we're doing that with this, with, I mean, with all the free money that we're printing right now. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, the Democrats wanted socialism, right? So here, the, here you go. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's the thing, too, because I already know that, I mean, if and when, if uh, if there is a Biden presidency, he's going to have to raise taxes. Trump's going to have to raise taxes. I mean, and that's going to be another politicizing thing. Oh, look, when, you know, when Trump was in office, he cut taxes. He cut the corporate tax rate. He opened up, you know, businesses. And look, Joe Biden comes in and all of a sudden all he does is raise taxes. And it comes to like the same situation as Obama Bush, yeah. where Obama had to come up and clean Bush's shit up. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's a little bit like history repeating itself. <laughs> yeah. But um, to to talk a little bit about the, because um, I, when I started my little rant or spiel or whatever, um, one of the things I said, and I forgot to come back to it, was um, the, the idea of uh, unemployment, you know, you know, increasing over time. That, that is a reality, but I don't think it's going to be as dramatic as what the figures say they are, because there's certain things that we just can't account for. There's certain variables that, um, that are hard predictors. Um, but one of the things I'm seeing is with the recent executive orders against uh, China and businesses that 
operate with China or support China and and their operations, um, <clears throat> you know, I think that's going to definitely lead to uh, a lot of the manufacturing coming back to the U.S. or uh, coming to other countries that uh, uh, can are more business friendly environments than China. And so I think if we could bring back a lot of the manufacturing into the U.S., there's going to be definitely be automations involved with that. Right. But not everything and, and, can be automated. And I, I mean, and if it's not the U.S., then it, then it should be Mexico. I mean, you know what I mean? If, if it's not the U.S., then why not our next door neighbor? Why not? Right. Exactly. Our neighbor? Exactly. You know what I mean? And, and I mean, logistically, that would just be genius. Um, and then, like I said, like, I think I've, I've had this discussion with you before, maybe in 10 years, once, you know, Mexico becomes, we make Mexico the new China, maybe not, they're not a third world country anymore. You know what I mean? Maybe yeah, that, you we know, don't have it. We don't have so many immigrants coming illegally. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, let's be honest right now. They're trying to keep us out. Yeah. <laughs> the, the script has flipped in that regard. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, like I, I mean, Mexico's doing good. Like I said, I mean, would you want to borrow a cup of brown sugar from someone across town? No, would help them out. Pro I mean, you know, in a realistic world, probably not. But you know, our next door neighbor, you know, if they're right there, if you know, if they're steps away from becoming second world, uh, you know, first world country, whatever it is that they are. I mean, logistically, if it makes sense, why not? Instead of shipping stuff over from China, let's just ship it over the Rio Grande. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And. Um... Uh, even with things like um, like medical or medicine, rather, you know, like we've like it became very apparent at the beginning of the you know coronavirus outbreak. It was like, oh, by the way, a lot of our vaccines are produced in China. So, you know, what if China just said, hey, we're not going to give you these vaccines? Like, what happens right. then? Like, where else do we go? Who else makes vaccines? Like, we don't right. do it here in the U.S. I mean, sure, we do it on a small scale for testing and all that other stuff and viability studies and things like that. But I mean, if I think 80% or 70% of all manufacturing of things that are here in the U.S. come from China. So, I mean, I think if we could bring uh, some of that back, we don't have to do all of it. I mean, India is there. They're, they're like, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of ignoring them for a long time. But I think they're going to be the next regional superpower for uh, as an ally that we could rely on. And if we move manufacturing to India and then the rest of it back to the U.S., that would uh, continue to increase jobs uh, and that I would mean, kind of uh, make it a soft blow or give a cushion yeah. to the unemployment well, issue. We, we got to pay attention to what's happening globally. I mean, right now, <clears throat> India and Pakistan are on the brink of war. And like India and China. Yeah, or, or is it India and China? I think it's actually all three. Yeah, all, um, yeah. And I mean, this whole thing with the South China Sea, um, you know, the U.S. is starting to flex their muscles over in the South China Sea. I mean, I'm, I'm World War Three pretty soon. I mean, you know, I, you know, I can see I can definitely see uh, uh, Russia, Syria, Iran and North Korea coming together versus, you know, uh, more allied forces. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah. I mean, anytime, anytime you throw nuclear weapons in there, it, you know, it's any person's game. I just I just uh, before we got on this call, um, I saw that Russia is supposedly coming up with a vaccine in in two weeks. So yeah, because we've been stealing all our, to worry about our that, intellectual right? property. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I do get the whole thing, you know, trust me, like I said, I don't think every single thing Trump does is wrong. I understand the whole, you know, the thing with China, the intellectual property, this, that, and the other. But I mean, at the end of the day, there are people that are 
suffering, mainly the farmers. And I mean, let's be honest, I haven't even heard anything about the tariffs in a while. So I mean, how long are those tariffs going to be there? You know what I mean? So, I mean, we live in a global, we live in a global world right now. And like I said, I mean, I think we're eventually going to get to a global currency. I don't see why not. Like I said, it's not like I, I do. I want like a one world total government. No, but at the end of the day, we are a global economy and it would just make sense, probably be more efficient to have one denomination. So um, well, that's that was kind of the experiment and the idea of the EU. And and that's largely in part of why we had the. Uh, the the really bad debt crisis in Greece because um, of the fact that well, they lowered the retirement age to like like thirty six. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, aside aside from that, like the the, the currency exchange rate is uh, you know at some point it started to balloon excessively and Greece just couldn't pay back. They couldn't borrow against their own currency because it was essentially valueless against the euro. Right. And then the, the euro or the, the central bank for the EU wouldn't lend to Greece anymore because they're like, oh, you can't pay us back. And it's like, well, you gave us this money and then <laughs> it made our money cheaper. And now you're saying like, you won't lend us more because Right. You're basically well, once again, I mean, may, maybe it works if everything's universal. You know what I mean? Because on, on that that example you're giving, I mean, you have competitive <laughs> denominations. You know what I mean? But if you have one, you know that that I don't know. It, it, maybe it changes things. Maybe maybe it doesn't. I mean, it's all it's all a work in progress at this time. But like I said, it's something that I see coming. We'll see what happens with the whole cryptocurrency thing. Um, like I said, now I know it's you know, and we haven't even gotten into like I said. I mean. Yeah, quantum computing like i tell people life's gonna get really easy like i mean you know when back to the future showed flying cars and and really scary (laughs) yeah and really scary i mean i think 20 uh 2030 is more realistic to to what i mean if you go if you look at austin i think austin has like 40 plus buildings going up in its downtown i mean you know we're gonna look like the jetsons by the year 2030 is what i truly believe and everything's gonna be efficient we're gonna be flying in cars you know that uses you know that goes off of air so uh you know but uh we'll, we'll, we'll see man we'll see we'll see we'll see where the technology takes us cool Uh-oh, i got my little one in here already <laughs> found me <laughs> this may be well, a good stopping point <laughs> yeah probably and uh it looks like we've actually gone on for uh what an hour yeah almost an hour so. <laughs> i never got i never got kicked off from zoom so okay we'll, we'll take it right all right, man. So that's the that's the end of the first uh, episode. So I think it went pretty good, and we got tons of more stuff to talk about. I mean, things happen every day, like you said, right? We just gotta gotta deal with it and, and see. We have comes. stuff that happened today that we wanted to talk about, but both of us <laughs> weren't fully versed in. So I yeah, mean, that's yeah. gonna be the, the the idea behind the show is we wanna you know put topics out there on the fly, uh, record these Zoom calls. I mean, I'm liking the recording of it and then putting it out there and then seeing what y'all's <clears> feedback <throat> is and then just basically going off of that. So we'll see how you know how that all that works out but um so far so good yeah so if you guys got questions you like what you see you don't like what you see whatever hate on us love us doesn't matter put it in the comments (laughs) thank you all right have a good one you too